You are now listening to the Santos Church Podcast. My name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at Santos Church, and I just want to thank you for tuning in. If you'd like to get connected or get involved with what we have going on here in Southwest Detroit, stay tuned to the end of this episode for more information. But for now, let's get to it. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to the Santos Church Podcast. We are in part two or week two of our series, Beautiful Church where we take four sacraments uh, held by the church, and we are just looking at them deeper, examining them, uh, and really just seeing how when we apply them and participate in them, they will anchor us to and draw us back and connect us uh, to a deeper, richer, more vibrant faith as individuals, and how when we bring that faith as individuals to the collective of the local church, to our uh, faith families, our faith communities, um, it will contribute to and build and, and give us a more beautiful church. And so last week, uh, we took a look at communion, how communion is sacred and beautiful and holy and supernatural and special, uh, and how it draws us further up and further in to union with Jesus. That phrase we talked about further up and further in coined by the author C.S. Lewis. Uh, and really we talked about how that's that's the goal of not only sacraments, but really the goal of the life of a believer and the work of the church. As believers, we draw further up and further into unity and union with Jesus Christ. Um, and as the church, the work of the church is to draw people further up and further in uh, to community with each other and union with Jesus Christ. And so this week, we are looking at the sacrament of baptism. Now, the church has developed a lot of views around baptism, what it means, how it should be done. But as I stated last week, as it pertains to communion, I'm less focused on uh, addressing kind of how it should be done. Um, like, I'm, 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 not, I'm not really for the sake of the content or for this series looking at the means by which it's done um, as much as with the fact that it is done and should be done by all who believe in Jesus. Baptism is a sacrament in which uh, believers are submerged in water, and it is actually the foremost sacrament given to us uh, traditionally in the church, which means that in general, the understanding held by the church in the early church uh, coming down from Jesus Christ is that baptism should be done by all who believe and come to believe in Jesus before partaking or participating in any of the other sacraments. So it, another way of saying it would be, uh, it is the, the belief held tra traditionally throughout the church is that baptism is kind of like the right of admission in order to participate in the other sacraments. So today I want to show you the significance of it and just, just like last week, help to restore the beauty behind baptism for our church today and for us going forward. And so I want to uh, show you a few different angles on the significance of baptism. Uh, so if you're you know, going back and making notes or, you know, making asterisks by this or, you know, maybe in your Bible app, uh, just be ready. There's going to be four different angles on this uh, with passages around that. And so the first uh, kind of significance I want to show you around baptism in scripture is this, that Jesus and Paul were baptized. A lot more people are baptized than that, but I want to show you specifically Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul and their baptism as accounted for in Scripture. So Matthew 3, 13 through 17 t tells us a little bit about Jesus' baptism, and it says this, 
um, Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Yes, John the Baptist. And verse 14, John tried to talk Jesus out of it. John said this, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me? But in verse 15, Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. Powerful words right there. So John then agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling upon him. And a voice from heaven said this, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Remarkable moment, super special moment right there. The, the Trinity is presented to us in that moment, right? And so it's important to highlight that, that at the baptism of Jesus Christ, you have Jesus Christ in the water, you have the, the Spirit descending like a dove, right? And then you have the voice of the Father being audibly heard. And so you have Father, Son, and Spirit present at this moment of baptism for Jesus. Let's look at Paul. Acts 9, uh, verses 17 through 20, tell us a little bit about Paul, right? Or Saul at this point. And so Saul had just been walking, uh, you know, the Damascus Road. Uh, if you don't know the story, go back and read that powerful, powerful uh, account of Paul's conversion, Saul's conversion, right? And uh, so right after this moment, we know that Paul is struck with blindness. God commands him to go find Ananias, uh, so that way Ananias can lay his hands on him and restore his sight. And so this is what we read in that moment. Starting in verse 17, Acts chapter 9, it says this, So Ananias then goes and finds Saul, and he lays his hands on him, and he said this, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight, and check this out, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Now check this out. Then he got up and he was baptized. Afterwards, so after he was baptized, he then ate some food and regained his strength. But it's not done there. Then it says this, he ate some food, regained his strength. Then Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately, italicized that, underlined that, whatever you got to do to that, immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Again, this is powerful for so many different reasons, right? You have, and I keep alternating between Saul and Paul because one would have been a, a Jewish contextual-like name, right? Saul, and then his Gentile contextual name that he would kind of flip between uh, would have been Saul and Paul, Saul and Paul, right? So Saul is having this powerful conversion moment. He's struck with blindness, so now he can't move, right? And then you have this guy, Ananias, who has to come pray for him. Ananias is probably like tripping because he's heard for sure, has heard about Saul. Uh, when you go back and read a little bit, Ananias is even like reasoning with God, like, yo, God, are you sure, man? Because this Saul dude, he's a bad dude, man. He's hurting, he's hurting believers. I don't know if I should go and talk to him. What if he hurts me, right? But like God reassures him. So Ananias is obedient. He goes and he prays for Saul, even calling him brother, right? First time meeting him, hearing about his bad reputation, calls him brother. Saul explains to him that God appeared to him, sent him there 
so that way he might regain his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what I love. Instantly, scales fell from Saul's eyes. He regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized. So that shows you right there the immediate kind of chain of events. Ananias prays for him. Saul gets his sight back. And then he gets up and he was baptized. And then he goes and regains his strength. He didn't wait to have a meal. He didn't wait to have a hundred or ask a hundred questions and, and, uh, and to kind of reason through this and try to do all these different things. He just knew it was just what he did. He got healed. He got a sight back. That was an experience enough for him to know that he had encountered Jesus. And when he had that encounter with Jesus, his immediate step after being able to see where he was going was to go and to be baptized. Then he regains his strength. And then now that he has this conversion, this experience with Jesus, then he's baptized, gets his strength back a little bit. And then verse 20 says, immediately began preaching about Jesus. So he gets saved. He gets healed of his, of his blindness, right? And that's part of his salvation moment, his conversion. He gets saved in that. He's baptized. He, he regains his strength a little bit, and then he immediately gets to work. He began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, synagogues where they surely would have known him because if you remember also in scripture, Saul calls himself the Pharisee of all Pharisees. So he was a, he was a dude that was known in this Jewish culture, right? And so he goes into these synagogues, these places of Jewish worship, and he goes in now, and instead of being this Jew of all Jews, he goes in and now he's proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Powerful moment. Saved, immediately baptized, gets to work doing what God has called him to do. So right there you have Jesus' baptism. Trinity is present at that moment. Jesus is saying, I'm not exempt from baptism. I need to be baptized too. Then you have Saul's conversion story. He doesn't put off or postpone getting baptized and doesn't do all these different things. He's saved, experiences Jesus, gets baptized, gets to work, right? Another angle I want to show you on this is that Jesus's high call and prioritization of baptism within the Great Commission. You probably know this passage too, if you've been around the church at all, but Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this. This is just before Jesus uh, is, is ascending back into heaven, right? Until he comes again. And verse 18 says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey, to obey all the commands that I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus's Great Commission is what we call this, right? The Great Commission. Jesus says it like this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, we're, we're supposed to be getting to work for Jesus with this message now that we have from him, this new life that he's laid out for us and exemplified for us and called us into now that we have this and we have this awareness, this this, this new life inside of him, we are to go and invite other people into that. And the mark that they are being invited into that is this, that they are being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in Jesus's own words. Another angle I want to show you on this is 
is this, that the early church believed that it was uh, a seal of, of, of God upon you, right? A seal within the faith, a covenant, if you will. If you remember in the Old Testament um, circumcision, ho- hopefully there's no little listeners around you, <laughs> but circumcision was a sign of a covenant with God, right? And so now the belief is this, is that baptism is kind of a, a, a new form of this circumcision, a new sign of a covenant for believers with God, right? Colossians 2 verses 9 through 12 says this, for in for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, further up, further in, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Verse 11, when you came to Christ, you were, and this has quotation marks around it, you were circumcised but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, cutting away your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. This is Paul talking, by the way. And he's saying this, that that. This, this, this circumcision was the old way, right? He's talking to cultural Jews again, right? Like people in, within a Jewish context. So he's saying, you know what it means to be circumcised. You, you know what it means to have this covenant with God. But when you came to Jesus, you didn't have to be re-circumcised or you didn't have to get circumcised in this kind of way to have this covenant. Instead, it wasn't by the cutting of any part of your body to try to keep it PG, but instead it was spiritual circumcision through the procedure or the practice or the sacrament of baptism. Because in baptism, you were buried with Christ. That's Paul's words, verse 12. In baptism, you were buried with Christ and you were raised with him to new life Because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So baptism is this like new covenant, right? This new form of covenant where the spiritual reality is that we are buried and raised with Christ. And just as circumcision would have cut away, right? It was a, it was a, sacrament, like an Old Testament form of a sacrament to, to, to show the covenant of cutting away our sinful nature. Well, now we have this spiritual reality that through baptism, there has been a cutting away likewise of our sinful nature. Each of you must repent for your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Watch the chain of events right here. Peter laying this invitation to come to faith in Jesus out for them. He says, you must repent of your sins and turn back to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? So it's it's like this, 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 this process, turn back to God, right? You've been chasing down all these other things that you prioritize rather than God. You've been running away from God. Turn from running from God, turn back to God, run back to God, be baptized in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, Peter says. Then at that point, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's powerful. Let's look at what Jesus teaches to Nicodemus. 
in their conversation, John chapter three, that you should read. I mean, by the way, I'm giving you passages here, but but read the entire thing. These are these are just incredible accounts of just teaching and the movement of the early church right at the beginning. And so in this one, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, right, who's a Pharisee. He's like an elite, uh, an elite uh, Jewish like teacher, right? And so he's he's talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is trying to understand. He senses that there's something different about Jesus, and he's wanting to know more about what Jesus is all about. And so in John chapter three, verses three through six, this is the part of the conversation we're looking at. Jesus says this: "Very truly, I tell you." No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus said, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So when you read that, I, I, and I just want to make a, a, a an asterisk right here and just kind of say this, that as I was doing my study for this, right, and I'm reading these different commentaries, and I, I'm looking at three or four different commentaries and different notes on these things uh, from scholars, from theologians, all these things, right? And it's so interesting to me, because if we're looking at a lot of different passages, a lot of times the commentaries will will read with similar insights, right? They'll, they'll take a similar stance or perspective on kind of drawing out the meaning and the context of, of verses many times, right? But in this particular passage, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, the part where Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. You have like half of the commentaries that say that this speaks, Jesus is speaking specifically to the necessity of being baptized in water. You are to be born of water and the spirit. And then the other half of the commentaries I read, just keeping it real with you, the other half of the commentaries I read literally don't even look at the fact that Jesus used the verbiage born of water and the spirit. They just simply focus on the spirit and talk about how this is a spiritual rebirth. Or some of them will word it in a way where it says Jesus saying water and spirit really is just synonymous with Jesus saying this is a spiritual rebirth. So it's like split on on this and specifically on this passage, right, where people are willing to look at it, these scholars, these uh, these Bible teachers, these theologians, right, they're, they're willing to look at it and look at it and, and, and through their lens go, yeah, this is clear that this is teaching on Jesus saying you have to be born of the spirit and and that comes through and is in conjunction with being born of the water or being baptized in water and then some of them won't even mention it and and the the reason that I think this is interesting is because of this for the first when we're looking at the traditions uh, handed down by the church for the first 1500 years of the church there's there's harmony around teaching right? The apostles teaching and the things that we're getting from scripture handed down, there's harmonious teaching around this, that this is about baptism, that this alludes to Jesus teaching Nicodemus the importance of water baptism in the life of a believer, that there's some kind of regeneration and and newness of life that is brought through supernaturally being baptized and water and likewise through the spirit of God in that moment. And so when you look at that, and that's kind of 
the 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 harmonious take on this well then then you look at more recent things and i'm talking about not super recent but obviously after that point in church history when the church starts to fracture and now you have all these different branches of the church and denominations jumping out from there and the the unity and the harmony around the teaching of this and the the leaning of these different passages starts to change and shift and people kind of deviate off of that. Well, now you have people who are less uh, willing to lean one way or the other theologically. And what I mean by that is this, is that if certain people don't align with, let's just say, the Catholic church teaching of being born of water and spirit, well, then they are just going to, they're going to lean their way theologically or maybe even denominationally, and they're going to say, no, this, this is just a spiritual thing. Water there, Jesus doesn't mean this, all because they don't want to be uh, mentioned or looked at the same way that maybe this denomination is or or the Catholic Church is or, or you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so because of other extenuating circumstances or conversations or cultural contexts that are happening throughout the course of church history, whether good or bad, you start to see fragments come out where people are like, yes, this is this speaks to the early church teaching of baptism as well. And some people are like, no, 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 that's what that denomination thinks, but but that's actually not the case. They're wrong about this. That's that's this. And then it starts to deviate. And so I just wanted to be intellectually honest and and just kind of point that out that there's a lot of harmony and unity around these teachings early on. But, but the later and later and more recent to us that we get throughout church history, it starts to become more and more fragmented. And, and you can make assumptions or even observations on why that might be. But what I want to do is put that in context with the rest of these passages we just read, what Peter says about the importance of baptism, Paul says about the importance of baptism, what Jesus himself says at the commissioning, right? Like all these different passages Paul's baptism, Paul teaching the Colossians, what we pointed out, and so many other uh, verses and, 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 and accounts and scriptures that you can look at for yourself that all pertain to baptism and the sacramental teaching around baptism. And if we look at it, I believe that there is still a general consensus about what is the traditional belief around baptism within the church. And so to, to echo that as well, I want to also just bring in the voices of the early church and some of the early church fathers. And, and just, again, for intellectual honesty, we can look at and see how a lot of these guys, they were harmonious around these teachings, but they didn't necessarily agree about every little, you know, T that was crossed and I that was dotted. They had some flexibility in here. They had some nuance here, but generally speaking, this was the apostles' teaching. When the book of Acts says that they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, this is the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching was that this was the belief around baptism. And so I have a few of them here just to kind of point out to you and show you. Um, and so let me let me just give you the example of some of these uh, early church fathers. You have Clement. Clement taught that uh, baptism was a seal of God on believers. believers. Hermas taught uh, that he called it the process in which we descend into water dead, but then we come out alive. Justin said that it was useful for regeneration, illumination, and remission of sins after confessing our belief in Jesus. Theophilus of Antioch taught that it was uh, useful for remission of sins and rebirth in Christ. 
St. Ignatius suggested that baptism supplies us with spiritual weapons for spiritual warfare. Irenaeus said that it was the seal of eternal life upon us and is our rebirth in God. Many of the early church fathers taught that it was a spiritual rite that replaced circumcision and served as a doorway to covenant with God and served as the remission of our sins. And the entire early church regarded it as the rite of admission into the church. As well, it was seen and taught as the vehicle for conveying the Holy Spirit onto and into believers in Jesus Christ. and and logic to how this works and why it works this way. I'm not trying to do any of that. All I want to show you is that there is something sacred and holy and beautiful and supernatural about baptism. We can see it in in how Jesus taught it and talked about it and prioritized it. We can see it through, through the same for Paul, through the early church and the early church fathers, the traditions handed down. Jesus commanded it of his followers. Paul did it immediately upon conversion. Jesus did it and the Trinity was present. The disciples implemented it as the first step of, step of action for every new believer all across the book of Acts. The early church believed it was supernatural. The apostolic fathers of the faith handed down our Christian traditions and organized the canon of scripture, believed this to be supernatural and life-giving covenant signifying, washing, equipping, and Holy Spirit conveying. That is a big deal. So what I want to instill and give us back, just like last week talking about communion, what I want to give us back when we're talking about baptism is our sense of wonder around it. I don't know how it works, but I don't have to. God does. I know that there is something to it because anyone who professes faith in Jesus and any church who who preaches the Bible believes that Jesus is the way, holds to it as primary in the formation, in the life of every new believer. And it's been so all the way back to Jesus himself. It is special. It is sacred. It is holy. It is beautiful. Through baptism, we believe in ways that I can't fully explain and I may not fully understand. It's supernatural. But we believe that we are drawn into the resurrection life that Jesus makes available to us and that we are now sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters with each other and all and all who have believed and do believe and will eventually come to believe. In other words, if communion is the sacrament which unites us to Christ, Baptism is the sacrament which unites us to Christ and to each other. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you have not been baptized, let me just encourage you today, be baptized. There's something special and supernatural about it. And if you go to Santos Church, you call Santos Church your home church, and and you haven't been baptized and you hear this and you want to be baptized You can come to me. You can shoot us a message on the website. You can DM us on social media. You can come right up to me on a Sunday morning and just let us know. We would love to baptize you. But I think the example that we see all throughout scripture is that baptism is special and it's sacred 
and and baptism as a sacrament commun uh, con communicates the greater spiritual reality that we are regenerated into new life in Christ, that we are found now in the family of believers with our brothers and sisters in faith throughout time and space, and that we are Jesus himself was. So if you haven't been baptized, be baptized. And if you have been baptized, then just know that you are sealed, that you are regenerated, that you are washed of your sins, and that there is a seal of God upon your life, and that he is conveying now his Holy Spirit onto you, into you, and through you. In Jesus' name. That you love us so much that, that Lord, you made a way for us, that you brought us into your very family. Jesus, we can see how through baptism, through belief in you, through being born again, being born of water, being born of the Spirit, Lord, that we're buried with you, that we are raised to new life, to resurrection life, and we are brought into community with our brothers and sisters in the faith and deeper into community with you, Lord, and we thank you for it. God, thank you that the spiritual reality that you have made accessible to us can now govern every part of us, every part of what we do and how we live and the reality that we live into now, that we are yours and that we have new life and a new family in your name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Santos Church podcast. If you'd like more information, you can check us out online at santoschurch.org or connect with us on social media. On Instagram, it's at Santos Detroit, and Facebook is facebook.com slash Santos Church Detroit. We'll catch you next time.